Again, this is an honor for us to be here, Pastor. Thank you for inviting us. Um, thank you, church, for having us. And again, thank you for everything that you're doing for missions. How many have ever been to Tehran, Iran? Anybody here ever been there? And you're saying, why in the world would he talk about that? He's a missionary from Poland, right? If you were to go to Tehran, Iran today, you would see a palace of the kings. You'd one of the places that you'd want to visit would be the palace of the kings. And the palace of the kings a few years ago when they were building it, they wanted to make it the eighth wonder of the world. So they wanted this to be one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And as they were constructing this, one of the engineers or one of the, the, the men there just wanted to know um, what they could do to make it beautiful. So they sent to France and they asked for all these mirrors to be brought in so they could put them in the entranceway. And when these mirrors arrived from France, they were all busted up. They were all broken. And they didn't know what to do with them because now, you know, we've, we ordered these expensive mirrors. Um, they're here, but they're shards of glass. That's all they are. And they were getting ready to throw them away when one of the designers decided that what, he would do, what they would do is just take these shards of glass and start gluing them around. And they start gluing them around the entrance. If you look at this today, this is a picture of that entranceway. And if you would look at that, it looks like it was meant to be. And those are just shards of broken glass. Go ahead and just flip, flip through a couple of these slides so they can see. People that literally walk in there today, they believe that there are diamonds and rubies because the glass is reflecting in such a way that as they look at it, they think it's just diamonds and rubies and, and different kinds of special, special things. When all that is what you see there, every little piece of that glass that you see there, show the next slide, every piece of that glass that you see there is just broken glass. You remember the story? In the Bible, when this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, have you obeyed the commandments? And the rich young ruler says, yes, of course. I've, since I was born, I've obeyed them all. And Jesus says, I have one more thing for you to do, to sell what you have and give it all away, and then you can have eternal life. Now, Jesus wasn't being spiteful. He wasn't just saying, because you're rich, I want some of your riches. What Jesus look, was looking at was looking at that man's heart, and he saw the one thing that was keeping him from really following God with everything that was within him was his money. And that rich young man walked away broken. And he walked away broken because sometimes in our Christian life, Jesus breaks us in order to make us something beautiful. He didn't surrender his life to God, and he walked away broken and wouldn't let the master take and put him back together the way it would have been perfect. And when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about David. David writes in, in, the, in the Psalms, and he writes this scripture, and he says, you know, God, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God, before, when, I, when you knit me together in my mother's womb, you had a plan for my life. As a matter of fact, David goes on and he says, you know what? Before I was even born, before I was even in my mother's womb, you wrote me in your book and you had a special purpose and you had a special plan for my life. And, and David, you know, if you look at somebody's life who was broken often, you know, he, he, was, in, he was in battles and, and different things that through his life, God was always seeming to break him, but God would fix him a little bit better than he was before. We read about Jeremiah. And in the prophet Jeremiah, he stands up and the prophet Jeremiah says, you know, in chapter one, he says, God, you called me to be a prophet to the nations even before I was born. You think about a man by the name of Cyrus, a king of Persia. 
And you realize that 150 years before, approximately 150 years before Cyrus was born, God mentions him in Isaiah chapter 45 and says that he will free Israel. You know why? Because before we were born, God had a plan for our lives. While you're sitting right here today, God knew you before your mom and before you were a sparkle in your mom and dad's eyes. If you go to the New Testament and you go to Ephesians and we read the chapter two where it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, as any man should boast. There's a, t a tenth verse there and it's a very particular verse. It says, you are God's masterpiece. You are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And then in some versions, it takes the translation a little bit farther. And it says, and these were the works that God prepared before the world was founded. Before God created this world, he knew you. God knew that you would be here right at this moment. And God has a very special plan and a very special purpose for your life. And it doesn't matter wh when you were born. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what culture you come from. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter how much money you have. God has a specific purpose for your life planned before the foundation of the earth. Now, I don't know all of your lives, but I know mine. And I'm going to share a story of my life. And I'm not doing this to brag, but I want to show you if God can use this donkey of a man, what can he do with you? So let me take you back to 1967. I'm going to take you on a, a trip. Some of you don't even know what 1967 was. <laughs> in 1967, my father was being commissioned to go to the mission field in Mexico. I was at his commissioning service as a young lad, and I'm not going to tell you my age. You'll figure it out on your own anyway later. As I was there at that commissioning service. I was a young lad, and they sang a song, and it went something like this. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, or mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. I heard, I heard some of you singing. Some of you were, some of you, I began to cry. I mean, I was a young boy, and I began to cry, and I couldn't figure out what's wrong with me. And I know now what was wrong with me, but at that point in my life, I had no clue what God was doing in me. We went off to Mexico. We were there for about six and a half years, and when we came back, I spoke Spanish better than I could speak English because my informative lives, half of my life was there, and my informative life was in Mexico and not in the States. And so when I came back, I was odd. I spoke Spanish. I had an accent that was very, you know, Spanish accent. You wouldn't look at, you'd look at me, they thought I was Cuban because of my color, you know, my color was lighter, but yet I spoke Spanish better than I could speak English. I dressed funny. At 12 or 13 years of age, my teachers wanted to put me in speech therapy. Now, how many of you know that as a teenager, that was the last thing you wanted? I remember my, the kids in those classes laughing at me because I spoke funny, I, I dressed funny, I acted funny, and my, 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 the kids in my classes would laugh at me, and I was just discouraged. 
And at the age of about 13 or 14, when we came home, I was ready to go back to Mexico. And I prayed for about two, three years, God, send me back to Mexico. I want to be a missionary in Mexico. I love that place. I want to live there the rest of my life. And, uh, and I remember just all the time not wanting to, to live in America. And in 1976, I was at an altar in Sturgis, Michigan, and I, again, poured my heart out before God. And God spoke to me and said, Richard, I am calling you to be a missionary, but not to Mexico. I'm calling you to be a missionary behind the Iron Curtain in, in the place that at that time was called the USSR, the Soviet Union. I want you to be, in, you're going to be a missionary in one of those countries. And I remember telling my, my youth pastor, and I remember telling some of my family and my friends that I was going to be a missionary, and they looked at me and they said, it'll never happen. And in order to make a long story short because of time, in 1989, I was um, youth pastoring in a place called St. Louis, Michigan. I turned on the television, and I saw a man take this hammer and begin to strike this wall. And the Berlin Wall began to fall, and God spoke to me again, and he reminded me of my call behind the Iron Curtain. So in 1999, after going on many mission trips all over, the, all over in the Eastern Europe, in 1999, I went to a place called Poland. And when I stepped off that plane for that short-term trip, I cried for 14 days. And God said to me, this is where I called you to in 1976. You know, God had a plan. God had a plan for my life. But you know what? It doesn't stop there. Because how many of you know that God's plans are bigger than anything we can imagine or think? So we go to Poland in 2002. Churches like yourself send us there. We get to Poland. We're there. And, and because, again, like we didn't know the language, they put us in building projects. We began to work. And for the first um, two terms, we worked on building projects. And about six months before the end of that term, we went to the church. Our building projects were done. We had just planted that first church in Zachishe, and, and now we, were, we, we, we had been so busy for the first eight years, now we were running out of things to do. And so we went to the national church, and we said to the national church, we said, what can we do when, you know, we're getting ready to leave for the, to go on furlough, and we're going to go leave in six months or eight months from now to go on furlough again, and we want your advice as to what we can tell the churches we're going to do when we come back. And they looked at us, and this is what they said. We don't know what to do with you. They said, we, why don't you just go back home? You can live at home and just send us money. And when I heard that, my thought was this, they don't want me anymore. And that's not what they were saying. They just weren't used to missionaries staying in as, as long as we had. We were the first missionaries to go two terms. We are the longest missionaries to stay in Poland. We've been there 15 years. Nobody has ever done that. We are the only missionary from the Assemblies of God to ever get permanent residency in that country. And we don't know why they gave it to us. I mean, we do now, but at that point, we didn't know. And so for them to say, just send your money back, it was like a, a, like, it was a heartbreak to me. And I thought, man, they're telling me I don't want, they don't want me anymore. So I went back home to the apartment. And about two weeks later, our landlord shows up to us at our apartment. We'd been there for nine years or eight, eight and a half years in the same apartment. Our landlord shows up to us and says, you need to get out. So now it went from bad to worse. The National Church doesn't want me. My landlord doesn't want me. And so because we had permanent residency, we had to have a contract, and we didn't want a two-year contract if we were going to be there six months and if God was calling us somewhere else. So we went around for three weeks looking for a person, looking for a place that would rent out to us 
for a month-to-month -month basis, but still give us a contract so it would settle, so it would, um, settle the permanent residency debate. After three weeks, we found a lady. We had one week to move. She agreed to um, allow us to, to give us a contract and allow us to pay rent month to month, which is unusual. That was a God thing in itself. So I signed the contract, and as I give her the contract, she says this to me. She says, you know, three weeks ago, the same time we're getting kicked out, she says, I went to my astrologer to find out when I would rent this apartment because it's been vacant for over a year. She said, this is part of my income. She says, so I went to my astrologer and asked the astrologer when I would rent this apartment, and the astrologer said to me, you will rent it when the Americans come. I had handed her the contract already, and now I had gone from bad to worse to the devils in this thing. <laughs> I looked at Lori, my wife, and I said, Grab a gallon of oil. We're going to anoint the walls. <laughs> I was joking, but man, I, was, it, I thought I had really messed up. Two weeks later, this lady on her own shows up at that church plant in Zachishe, which we call our church, and she gives her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Two weeks later. And I don't know if you remember this, but the last time I was here, I shared this heart with you. This is her heart. She gave it to me, and she says, when you go back to those, every time you go back to those American churches, you take my heart with you. She says, and you thank those churches for me for sending you to Poland so that I could hear about Jesus Christ and become saved. And so I present you today with Marilka's heart. And now I want to share the rest of the story, and I'm going to do it quickly. While we were home on furlough, because I was discouraged, it had gone from bad to worse to, to the devil, and then a salvation took place, right? I was discouraged. I didn't know if we were going to go back to Poland. But we decided that we were not going to go anywhere else unless God opened another door. Because we were in Poland, and we were going to stick the stay the course until God changed, you know, changed the, change the tune of things. And so we're home on furlough, and it's towards the end of furlough. We're getting, we get raised our money. We've already had our money raised. I made a prayer, and I said this to Jesus. I said, Jesus, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to be. But God, it's been 10 years, and I have not had a chance to hunt. That was my passion since I was about since 1974, I said, I haven't hunted since we've been in a mission field, you know, and I had hunted every day since 1974 up until that point, until we went to the missions. I said, God, I sure would like to hunt, and I left it at that. We get back to the mission field. We get back to Poland. We were a little bit discouraged, but we went back because God hadn't, cha hadn't, changed, the, hadn't changed the door, you know, hadn't opened another door. We get back to Poland, and one week the stepbrother of Marilka shows up on our doorstep one week after we get back, out of the blue, not knowing he's coming. He says, I have an appointment for you, Richard, to meet the headhunter, not the headhunter, but the, the headhunter of Poland. He says, we're going to see if we can get you to hunt here in Poland. I had forgotten about the prayer. So we go and meet this headhunter, and we begin to ask him if it's permi permissible for me to hunt. And he says, well, the first thing you need, if you're, since you're not a citizen, is you need permanent residency. Remember I told you we were the only Assemblies of God missionaries to ever get that, and we didn't know it? Do you think God knows those things? So I said, I have it. Ended up having to take five different exams, passed them all. Flying colors passed all these exams in, in Polish. And that's, I mean, that's not my first language. That's my third language. 
Um, and then I, I, I even passed the, can you imagine me passing a psychological exam in Polish? I did it. <laughs> and my thought was this, here's what's going to happen. Now that we're church planning, we started church planning again, we actually planned those last three churches last term, and now that we're church planning, what we're going to do is I'm going to work on church planning during the day, and then when my day's off, or on a day when I don't have anything to do, I'm going to go out and hunt and, you know, shoot one of those wild pigs, or, you know, do that, and, and I did that for a while. I'd go out on a weekend, or go out, uh, not Sunday, but on a Saturday, go out on a Saturday, go out on different days when there was nothing going on, go out and hunt, and, and I'd shoot a pig, or shoot a deer, or something that was going on when in the season. And then what happened was something just amazing. As I took those courses to become a hunter, because it's a semester course of college, and it's in their Army Institute. It's in the Ar Army, and it's in their, uh, the Army base. As I took that, I found out that on their group hunts, they use horns for their traditional hunting. And everything, the whole hunt is guided by horns. My wife had been a trumpet major from high school and college, and um, she, laid her horn, she laid her horn down for about 30 years while we were raising kids and going to the Poland. And I told her about this, and she got excited and took a course and became a signalist and became the third best signalist in all of Poland. <laughs> and now my wife is involved in hunting with me. And now she's getting invited to play on the radio with the 90 top signalists in all of Poland. She's getting put in hunting magazines. She is getting invited to all these hunters' funerals to pay for, play for the hunters' funerals. She's getting invited to play for the anniversaries of all these hunting clubs. She's going all over Poland. As a matter of fact, she's writing signals for them. And I'm staying at home. <laughs> out in the backyard, or not, not on the, out on the hunting club hunting a pig while she's doing all this. And I'm getting jealous. So about three years ago, I said to her, I said, can you um, teach me how to play the horn? And her response was, we'll try. <laughs> she taught me. And now God has opened up a door for us to minister through the hunting association. This symbol right here represents the fact that we work for the state of Mazowiecki in Poland. We work with the State Department as volunteers, and whenever there's a funeral, we're called on to go do this hunter's funeral. We go and we play their horns, and then we minister to the family. Whenever there's a celebration for a hunting club for the 70th anniversary or 50th anniversary or whatever it is, we go to that hunting club, we play our horns, we um, are then invited to share with them, and we share the ministry, to share the gospel with the, those people. We go on these hunts. We rub shoulders with these people because now we fit in. We fit in with the Polish people. We know their language. We know their traditions. And every one of these hunters were able to minister. We have ministered to as many as 300 at one time, where before it was just a handful. We, are op we have open doors now, and there are actually hunting clubs in Poland now that call on us to go in there and minister to them. They call on us to go in there and share the gospel with them, to pray and to preach before their hunts. And God has taken my passions. One of the things that I love the most, to hunt and turn it into ministry. Something I couldn't, I couldn't have written this if I would have wanted to. And God has taken Lori's talents, the thing that she loved the most in high school and college, and she'd laid down for 30 years or so, and God has brought it back to her, and now we're able to minister through the things that we love to do together. And you know what? God will do that with your lives. Something that I was told by the, by the Poles themselves, it would be impossible for an American or someone else to, to do and to hunt in Poland, I am now doing freely and actually getting invited all over the nation to hunt wherever I want. Because God was in a simple prayer. 
when I said, God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. Just let me hunt. God now uses that passion of hunting for his glory. I want to close with a story. I know I'm, I'm getting close. There's a lady, a lady by the name of Brenda. True story. I want everybody to say, this is a true story. I'm telling you this because you're not going to believe it's true. Brenda what, had some friends, and they were rock climbers. And Brenda wanted to fit in to this group of rock climbers because she wanted to, um, basically, I think she wanted to witness to them. You know, they were her friends. She didn't want to see them go to, she wanted to see them go to heaven. And so she goes out and she learns how to rock climb so she could be with her, fit in with her friends. And so she goes out and she learns to rock climb. And when they get to a place, to a pl when she gets to a place where she thinks she's good enough to go with her friends, she goes out with them. And they're, and they're going to summit a, a, a mountain or a hill or a rock that's approximately 300 feet in height. And I don't know anything about rock climbing, but she gets about halfway up. She's about maybe 200 feet or 150 feet above the ground. And the safety strap slaps back and hits her in the face, and it knocks her contact out. Now, anybody that wears glasses knows that if you have one lens, you're kinda, everything's kind of distorted and kind of off-centered and out of balance and everything else. And so she's up there, and she begins to search in the crevice. She searches for her on her clothes to see if it just fell into her clothes or someplace. Doesn't find it. So she f finishes the ascent, gets to the top of this mountain or rock crag, and her friends are there, and she asks them to sit down and pray with her to find that contact, thinking that this would lead maybe to some ministry, I guess. So they sit down, and they pray with her, and when they're praying with her, she's thinking that, okay, a miracle's going to happen, right? So she looks at her clothes again. She looks around. No contact. So they head back down the mountain. She's a little bit discouraged. She's a little bit off balance probably because only having one eye that we really can see out of. She gets down to the base of this hill, and they're heading towards their vehicles when another group approaches the hill, and they yell out, did someone here lose a contact? Now think about that. She's 150 feet across the ground, and this thing is falling all that way. And she says to them, she says, how did you find my contact since it fell from such a far place? And they said, we didn't find it. He said, we were coming up this road, and this ant was coming towards us. <laughs> and this ant had something funny that he was carrying, so we went down, and we reached down, and we picked it up, and it was a contact lens. Now think of this with me. Brenda loses a contact 150 or 200 feet above the ground, right? It falls to the ground. It bounces around wherever. Brenda prays on the mountain for this contact. God goes down and says, hey, Mr. Ant, pick up that contact and carry it to this group so they can give it back to Brenda. Brenda's father is a cartoonist. And Brenda's father... Put this cartoon on the, on, on, on the, he wrote, he drew, actually drew this cartoon and put it, it was spread around. It says, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do with this. I don't know why you want me to carry this thing. I can't eat it. It's awfully heavy. But if it's what you want me to do, God, I'll carry it for you. The story doesn't end there. Because God, that's not the first time God has used animals. You remember when um, Balak or Balak tried to curse Israel and he asked Balaam to come in and, and to do the cursing and and Balaam got on his donkey and was riding to, to curse Israel and that donkey looked back at Balaam and says quit beating me I'm protecting you from this angel because you're going to curse Israel remember when Jesus rode that colt 
that donkey's colt into Jerusalem. How many of you have ever tried to ride a horse that's never been broken? But that donkey ro rode with Jesus all the way in there very calmly because God can use animals. And if God can use animals, he can use this donkey. And if God can use me, God's got a purpose for you. And God will use you for, your, for his glory if you'll just surrender like your pastor said earlier. Surrender and say, use me, God. I want to close this way. I'm going to ask Lori to come up. She's going to play a signal for you real quickly. I'm two minutes over, but she's going to play a signal. And this signal is called a pelna wove. It means an appeal to the catch. Now, in English, you say, you say, what does that mean? What does that have any significance with what you're talking about? Remember when Jesus was down at the lake and he was calling his disciples and there was a man by the name of Peter washing his nets. And he said to Peter, he says, Peter, I see you're a fisherman, but from now on, you're going to catch men. That word in Polish, and this is so cool, because that word in Polish, catch, is the word wowicz. It's the same word we use in hunting to catch animals. We don't go to, to, to harvest animals. When we, we do kill them. I mean, we do harvest them, but we don't say we kill them. We say we're going to catch animals. And so it fits right in with what we're doing because we go out to catch men now. God has called us to catch men. Now, why is she going to play it for you? Because I believe God has called you to wovich men as well. You are God's hunters. You are God's fishermen. You are God's chemists. You are God's professors. You are God's teachers. You are God's industry workers because you have been called by God no matter what you're doing to reach out and to win people, to catch men for the gospel. So this signal is for you to remind you of your calling. You have been called to catch men. Beautiful. What a challenge. Man, I'm glad I was here today. God has called us. It's one thing to feel that call in these four walls, but the reality is when we leave and we get in our cars, we're heading into an incredible missions field, and, uh, and we've got to own that and reach one more. We actually have just one minute before we typically end, so you're ahead of schedule. How many are thankful for that? <laughs> oh, Lord. This is not the only time you've served me by speaking and bringing a word. You did a few years ago, but I don't know if you remember, when I was a teenager at Fajola Park, I was a... I always like to win. I mean, you guys remember, I mean, I've told you lots of stories. I, I'm very, very competitive. Uh, we were doing it all across the uh, Fajola. Do you remember this? I, I think I might have told you this, but you've worked there with your family. And um, uh, there was an all-adventure race, and instead of stopping to put my shoes back on, I was just all in, and I ran across the campground without shoes on all the way to, to the lake, 
And when I got back out of the lake, I realized I had gashed the bottom of my foot open and his family was working there. And Rich, you were the one, we, you got the truck out and took me to the hospital and I got stitches and you stayed with me. And I don't know if you remember that. And, uh, and you were serving then and you're serving now. And I'm just grateful for your testimony and for your stories and what a blessing. Uh, we, we're, we're not planning to receive an offering at this point, but I just want to challenge you. Uh, if you were challenged by what Rich and Lori, their ministry, if you want to give to them, you can do that. Uh, you can get it to one of the ushers. Uh, who's ushering today? Was Nate and Sam? Uh, if you guys want to do something, uh, there's envelopes in the back. You could definitely make a provision to do that. Um, we, we just want to bless you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give. I've got uh, some blow money that I've been saving up. And, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give all my blow money uh, just to bl- be a blessing today. And so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of lead the way in that, in that way. Let's stand and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for meeting us. Thank you for the call. Thank you for the privilege to go and to be a blessing. God, I pray that you would just put your hand upon this couple. Lord, lead them and guide them. Provide for them. God, open up these doors. Continue to do so. And I pray that souls will be won in Poland because of the McLeans. Lord, thank you, God. And Lord, I pray as well that here on the lakeshore, God, that you would go before each of us, around us, surround us. God, give us opportunities and let us open up our mouths to be able to share your good news. We thank you for this. We now pray that you would go, we would be able to go in your grace in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. Turn and greet someone as you leave today. Amen.